Hello, this is Pastor Keeker. I'm the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri. And this is the eighth class of a 12-week class that I'm currently teaching on a Lutheran theology of worship. In particular, we're looking at the Eucharist. Thank you for joining us for this session. May God bless you, and the Lord be with you always. The Lord be with you. We do not have an appointed psalm in our service today because we're using a different liturgy, the service of prayer and preaching. So I get to pick whatever psalm I want. A hundred. <laughs> Be here a long time. I have 150 at my disposal, um, but Psalm 26 has been has been a favorite. A long-time favorite of mine. I remember, you know, even singing it growing up. Yes, Edith? 26. The familiar, the familiar passage in this one is, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And, and how the, the liturgy of the church put those words in my mouth before I even really knew what they meant. Um, been singing them for a long time and still reflecting on the beauty of that one verse but let's pray psalm 26 and uh and then we have we have quite a class today we need to finish what i wanted to finish last week so we'll see if we can do that psalm 26 vindicate me o lord for i have walked in my integrity and i have trusted in the lord without wavering Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, and whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Heavenly Father, today in the great assembly of your saints, along with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we gather to bless your name, to give thanks and praise for the place where your glory dwells, your Son, our Lord Jesus, who walked in integrity all the way, willingly gave up his life upon your altar, the cross on Calvary, the sacrifice that atoned for the sins of the whole world, the Lamb who takes away our sins. We find your glory there in him and the places where he comes to be with us today, especially in your word and in your holy supper, the place where your glory dwells among us. 
Give us eyes to see and hearts to believe, souls that yearn to receive that glory to the nourishment of our souls, that we may, forgiven of all of our sins, walk in integrity, renewed by your life, and find your people around us who need you, that we would bring them to your house, the place where your glory dwells, so that they may taste and see that you are good, that your mercy endures forever. Lord, as we gather today in the great assembly to bless your name, we ask, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us rest, that we who are weary and heavy laden would find your Son Jesus to be a great rest for our souls. We ask you, O Lord, to bless this time. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are going to pick back up in the letter to the Hebrews. That's where we were last week. Hebrews chapter 7 and 8, and I think we finished right at the end of 8. So we're going to, we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 9 today and continue the discussion of you know, the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 and, and Jesus instituting the, the Lord's Supper on the night of the Passover and and, uh, you know, what's going on there? Is it the same thing? Is it something different? Um, what are the connections? And Pastor Wolf Mueller uh, brought out for us very well last week um, the difference between a covenant and a testament. And he pointed us to Hebrews to learn more about you know, what's a covenant? Well, a covenant is that which, uh, which lasts unto death, right? Marriage is a covenant. To death do us part. And at the moment of death, the covenant is no more. And a testament begins at death, right? Um, so the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God makes promises, and that, those promises last until God dies. God dies on a cross and Jesus institutes this new testament through his death and um, what is that what is the testament that Jesus institutes and um, as the letter to Hebrews is saying it's a better one well that's where we pick up today why is Jesus's testament because it was initiated with his death why is it a better one than the covenant that the Lord makes in, uh, to Abraham, uh, Isaac, and uh, Jacob. So, Hebrews chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant, here we go, we're picking right back up where we left off. The first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. A tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called, remember the name of this, the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, right? Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were cherubim of glory, 
overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. Okay, so suffice it to say there was a lot going on where? In the temple that the Lord God commanded Moses to build. And where did he command Moses to build this tabernacle and temple? All the way back in Exodus. Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 20 and 21, we get the Ten Commandments. And then for the next 19 chapters, besides this, this section about the golden calf incident, what's running the show for 19 chapters in Exodus? How you're going to build this thing. What people are going to use to build the elements of where the Lord is going to come and dwell in the midst of his people. It's 19 chapters of construction plans, basically. Wood and gold, and you're going to overlay this with this, and you're going to use purple and, and blue, and you're going to, you're going to fashion these lampstands, and you're going to... Fa it's, it's, so they say, we can't even speak in detail, the letter, uh, the writer here. We can't even speak in detail about these things. There's 19 chapters of it if you want to read them, right? But suffice it to say, there's a lot going on um, in the temple. Now, as we're thinking about this, though, consider this. The Lord has always desired to come and dwell in the midst of his people in a physical place. And where was that in the Old Testament? The Holy of Holies. Inside the temple, you went through the holy place and then there was a Holy of Holies place. And what, who dwelled there? The God of Israel. He dwelt among his people physically there in that place. If you wanted to know where God was back in that day, where would you go? Not just in your home. He's everywhere. You went to the temple, to the place where God had, was, had fixed himself for the sake of Israel. Um, there God is dwelling. Um, so, you know, this is, this is God's movement always to us. He always desires to come ha and have a certain place. There's a place where his glory dwells. Temple, now, in the New Testament, where is that place? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Um, John chapter 3, we need to go there. This is the, one of the first discussions Jesus has about the temple and, and what's going on here. Uh, sorry, John chapter 2. Look at John 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. Here he is, still there, temple. Now, the temple's been destroyed and rebuilt a couple of times, but this is the temple of Jesus' day that Herod helped build, and Herod was quite the builder. So we know that this was a pretty fancy temple. It's pretty nice. Um, that's going to come up here in a little bit. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? 
Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it back up. What? <laughs> what? That temple, the one that Herod built, you have any idea what it looked like back then? The stones that are, you go down this tunnel, I've been there, the foundation stones to these temples, they are, to this day, the largest masonry stones that we have ever created. How they made them back then, I have no idea. But <laughs> yes, aliens, Patty. They, I, you go down, you go down, 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 down to the foundation through, the, through step uh, uh, levels and levels of stairs, and you get down, and there's, you see one foundation brick that is wider than this room and taller. Wait, I mean, how do they move these things? And they're stacked. They're all stacked. It's, it's a wall of the temple. It's of a, a, a whole city could live inside of it. I mean, you walk up on top of the temple and there's, you know, well, now there's, there's, a, there's a couple of mosques on there. Muslims have claimed the, the, the top of it. But, I mean, there's, there's churches and there's trees and there's a park. I mean, this is a huge place. And Jesus says, you destroy all this, I'll raise it up in three days. Well, what's he mean by temple? That's, that's the key. But what is everyone's thinking when he says temple? This, this place, right? The, 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 the stones. Destroy this, this temple, in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, rightfully so. It took us 46 days years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days but he was speaking about the temple of his body when therefore he was raised from the dead his disciples remembered that he had said this they believed the scripture and the word that jesus had spoken okay so where is the place where god's glory now dwells in jesus jesus is the very temple of yahweh the glory of god most high dwells in him. Um, <clears throat> so, we keep reading. Verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6, sorry. These prepara preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest goes, and he but only once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, perfectly, can, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink, various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of reformation. But when Jesus Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Okay, so what's the, what's the tent? Who's the tent? 
Jesus, yes, verse 11, yeah. Through the greater or through the greater and more perfect tent. Well, who is that? Not something that's made with hands. Uh, Jesus Christ. He wasn't made with hands. And so, what's the difference? And this is kind of the key of Hebrews. What's the difference about what Jesus does as a great high priest, and what all the priests throughout the Old Testament did? What's a key difference, Brian? Yes, yeah, the um, former priests, they'd have to offer sacrifices for their own sins and the sins of others. Jesus is without sin. And he did it once for all. Oh, he did one time, that took care of it. They have to do it every year. Yeah, there's a difference in timing. He does it once for all. And we were already told that they do it every year, the priests of the Old Testament. Um, but it's the blood, right? First thing that he mentions, it's the blood. Look at verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. See, the, it's the blood that makes the difference here. Um, it's not blood from a goat or a lamb a bull. It's a different kind of blood. Well, whose blood is it? God's own blood. So it's going to do different things. Um, in fact, all the blood of those animals that were slaughtered for hundreds, if not thousands of years, it did forgive sin because God said that it did, but it didn't last. It was the blood of an animal. But even those animals had to be pure as they could be. Yes, exactly, without, without a blemish or spot. Because it was pointing Israel where? Pointing all of God's people where? It was preaching Christ. It was pointing us to the day when God's own son would shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And when that blood is shed, when God's own blood is shed, we're talking about eternal redemption, everlasting forgiveness. Sins no more removed as far as the east is from the west. So, but there's a few things coming up here and um, about what's different. You know, it's, it's the timing of it, but it's the blood of it too. Um, there's, a, there's several things going on. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, we continue with the blood. If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Right, so Jesus, he's, he sheds his blood for the sins of the whole, whole world. Now it's just a matter of distributing it. Now it's just a matter of getting it to the people. What do they do in the Old Testament? They'd slaughter an animal, and what did they do with the blood? <laughs> they'd throw it on people. <laughs> that would be a different worship experience. 
They, the priests would throw the blood on the people. They'd throw the blood on the altar. They'd throw it on the holy things of the Lord. The blood had to get to the people. Well, how does Jesus' blood get to us? Yeah, this is Jesus' last testament. It's a matter of distributing this blood that, he, that secures eternal redemption. He instituted a way for you to get it so that his blood can actually come into you as you are physically. Your body and your blood receiving his body and his blood, which secures an eternal redemption. This is why Luther says in the Catechism, that uh, one of the, the benefits of eating and drinking this meal is the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. Why would he teach that? Well, Hebrews chapter 9 teaches that. That where the blood of Christ is, there you have the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, eternal redemption. Verse 15. So, therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new testament covenant so that those who are does anyone have testament in their translation for that word by the way jesus is a mediator of a new you have covenant okay yeah a new testament so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant for where a will is involved and here we get the explanation that pastor wolf Mueller was pointing us to where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled, what, both the book the, the word, and all the people. Saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It would be weird to see that kind of worship, wouldn't it? Go back to Old Testament times and see how they worship. You'd be—I mean, we'd be outsiders, right? This is not the way that we've worshipped. We'd be looking at that, going, "That's weird." Yeah, <laughs> yeah who's cleaning after this? But but it's still. Um, whenever I was over in Israel, there was. Uh, who was it? There was a man there. I was talk- I was at a shawarma shop, and we just got to talking. And he was telling me how he took his girlfriend one time to a to a Christian church. I don't think this man was Christian, although I don't know for sure. I mean, obviously, if he took his girlfriend to a Christian church, then maybe he was. But the in the conversation, it seemed like he was more just checking things out. And he shared with me that when he went there, um, he's like, you know what the weirdest thing was? What? These people, they went up and they said they were drinking blood. That's weird, right? And I'm like, well, (laughs) (laughs) 
But to outsiders, this looks very strange. So strange that sometimes people are like, maybe we shouldn't do this because people think we're weird, right? Who cares what people think, right? We drink the blood of the lamb when we gather because it secures an eternal redemption. And that will make the world look at us differently. Like, what's going on there? These people are strange. Yeah, we've been set apart. Um, we don't operate the ways that the world operates. Um, but thankfully, I don't uh, sprinkle blood on you like the Old Covenant. I just give it to you to drink. So, and that way it is better, too. We'd be going through a lot of clothes, wouldn't we? <laughs> the, altar, the altar guild would have a quick burnout rate. <laughs> Edith, what do you think about that? Yeah, you would think that maybe they had like certain clothes they would wear. I don't know. Yeah, right. But that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem very different. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, also, it's also not different than the maternity home moms, the two that I had the pleasure of taking through confirmation. That was the same kind of reaction when we started talking about the sacrament of the altar. That first instinct of, oh, I don't know if I want that. I'm drinking blood, right? Wipe it off, you know. I don't. So you just keep keep reading the scripture and then, Eventually, they're like, no, I want it. I just, I just started teaching the confirmands Friday night. We're now we're on the sacrament of the altar. We'll be here the rest of the year, the rest of the year up to their confirmation. And uh, I think it was Lauren. She's like, what if it tastes bad? Ugh. Well, we got some reading to do. I guarantee you by the end of this month of confirmation, you're not going to be worried about how it tastes. You're just going to want it. And all three of them. Lauren had the best line. I got to share this. Lauren had the best line. She's been amazing. We're halfway through class and we're talking about the altar. And uh, she just goes, why isn't everyone Lutheran? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, Lauren. I don't know. But I'm glad you are. But she's, she's 11 class. Yeah, Jeff. Secure the redemption. Uh, let me go back to that verse. So verse 12, um, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. So this, so what first thing that comes to mind is um, Luther's explanation to the second article of the Apostles' Creed, where he's, where he's laying out who Jesus is. And he says, Jesus is my redeemer who has purchased me, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood. And so I like that, you know, there's a hundred images we can use about what Jesus did for us. He's our savior. He saves us from death and hell. He's our Lord. He reigns over us as king. We follow him. But redeemer is a good one too, that I was 
um, I was possessed by another. Another Lord held me tightly. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. Another, another person held me, gripped me, Satan. I was under his reign. Um, but the Lord redeemed me, brought me out of that reign, pulled me out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And so because he's my redeemer, he has purchased and won me from where I once was and has brought me to where I was always meant to be. Um, and he does that eternally. So we don't need to keep getting baptized and baptized and baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. You know, this morning I read something that I've never read before as part of my morning prayers, and I don't know why I picked it up, but now I know why I read it, <laughs> because now it's fresh. So the section that I read this morning actually was about the difference between the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of communion and the sacrament of confession and absolution. And um, the main difference is what our Lord says about them. So... You take each sacrament on its own terms about what Jesus actually says about that sacrament. What does he say about baptism? In Ephesians, Paul says one baptism. Go and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us to baptize one time. What does he say about the supper? Paul says as often as you eat and drink this cup. Jesus says do this and remembrance of me. Um, so how many times are we supposed to have that? Often. And in Acts 2 and in 20, we see they're, they're receiving that every Lord's Day. They're receiving the breaking of the bread. So, uh, so my answer um, would just be, well, we follow the word. The word is what tells us the differences. Um, although I like all the analogies too, because it helps kind of unpack the word a little bit better in our thinking. But because Jesus says, do this often. So we, okay, we do it often. Each sacrament has its own differences. And this is the, the whole point of the article that I read or the book that I was reading this morning. Why the differences? I don't know. Just because he said so. <laughs> he set it up this way. And I don't need to know. I mean, part of me wants to know. <laughs> you know, if it, 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 these like speculative questions we could run all day with, right? Like, why did Jesus even have to die to begin with? He's God. He could have just said, they're forgiven. That's where our faith comes in. Yeah, 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 yeah. By faith. Right. He, God's running the show. He does this to secure our eternal, eternal redemption. He institutes these means to deliver that redemption to us. So we say, okay, we'll do it then. Um, if he had said something else, this was Luther's great line, if he had said, go pick up the hay outside, then you know what I would be doing every day? I'd be picking up that hay. <laughs> but he didn't. He said, go and baptize and do this as often as you do this often. So that's what Christians, that's what we do until he comes again. And this is Paul's words, right? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So guess how long we're going to be doing this thing for? <laughs> until he comes. Yeah. Um, um, David, did that answer your question? Yeah, I just couldn't remember. I don't disbelieve you're taking me Yeah, 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 yeah. No. I don't really what the difference is. That is a good, no, it's, 
I should have brought that book. I could have just read it, and it helped me. But that was the the gist of it. Um, just take each one at, at Christ's word and what he says about it. That's why we do it in the frequency that we do it. Um, okay, I want to finish this. I want to finish chapter 9. So we're on uh, 23. It was necessary, chapter 9, verse 23. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. But then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Um, so several things that are different that makes this covenant better. Uh, one, the temple's different. It's Jesus, God in the flesh, not a building made with hands. Uh, secondly, the blood is different. It's the blood of God, not the blood of goats or bulls. And the third thing is the timing. The timing is different. It is once and for all. That blood is shed once. Now it's just a matter of distributing it. Um, you know, like five-year-old question, how can that be? How can, I mean, if you died 2,000 years ago on a cross, how can that blood now still come to you? Answer, he's God. You believe he walked on water? Yeah. You believe he raised dead people back to life? Well, yeah. You believe he calmed a storm with just his word, speaking it, peace, and storm goes away? Oh, yeah. So do you think he can give you his blood still today? Yeah. Believe it all by faith. It's all by faith. There's nothing that Jesus does that cannot be understood apart from faith. Did he actually cure the lame? Did he actually walk on water? Did he actually raise from the dead? Does he actually give you his blood today? Yes. Why do you believe that? Holy Spirit gives me that faith. Apart from the Spirit, I don't believe it. I question it. I doubt it. I have good reasons why. I've never seen a dead person come back to life. I've never seen someone walk on water, but I believe he did. We'll end there today. Still didn't get finished with this class. That's fine. I like being in the scriptures. Maybe this is where we need to be. We're going to be in Hebrews 10 next time. And uh, then Acts. And then our books. I've been talking about for eight weeks. July 14th. <laughs> July 14th. We'll get into that. <laughs> Jeez. Let's end with the Lord's Prayer.